0: We are in week three of our series called Building Blocks, and uh, I'm really excited for what I think God's going to teach us this morning. Um, As we get started, here's what I need everybody to do. Um, The first thing I need you to do is I need you to grab this pin that's in the seat back in front of you. So hopefully there is one. If not, you may have to reach um, to the side and grab one. Um, So everybody get one of these pins. I want to let you know too, like if you need a pin or you want to you know, go out to eat tonight or this afternoon after church, Um, you know, sign your uh, ticket with the pen and then leave it on there maybe as a little um, invite to your waitress. Feel free to do that. So take these pins if you want. All we ask is $100 in the plate when it comes by. So, I mean, we just got to cover our cost here. So, um, no, take this pen, all right? Now, here's what I want you to do, all right? I want you to get your other palm out and I need you to do something for me, all right? The first thing... Um, that, that I need you to do is I need you to draw a clock on the inside of your palm. All right? I'll do it too. Clock. Whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to do. <laughs> All right? Oh, whatever you want to do. Draw, okay, now, here's what I need you to, dr- now, I need you to draw some kind of tool. That could be a hammer, a screwdriver, a shovel. It'll make sense later. All right? Okay, so you got those two. Now here's what I need you to do. I I want you to draw a money symbol on the inside of your palm. Boom, there you go. Some of you are going all out. All right, so here's what we're going to talk about today. You know, there are very few things in our lives that we have total control over. Um, but there are some parts of our lives where we have great control. Um, and whether you realize it or not, in the power of your hands, and now we've got a visual symbol of it today, um, are some incredibly powerful tools that God has given you Um that you have control over in your life to use in an incredibly powerful way. And we're going to take a look at some of those this morning. We started the series, Building Blocks, talking about building habits that shape lives. We all, we all believe that God has something great in store for us. And the Bible confirms that. That God has incredible plans for each one of us. For you and for me. Um, for us to experience God and His power and His love in ways that we can hardly even imagine, but that if we want to get there in our lives, if we, if we want to stop looking around and going, I know there's got to be more, we actually want to experience it. Then we have to set a good foundation for our lives. And in this series, Building Blocks, that's what we're talking about, setting a good foundation for our lives. In the first two weeks, we talked about truth and sacrifice and how those have to be habits in our lives that will help propel us forward into experiencing what God wants us to. And today we're going to talk about generosity. And so as, you, um, as, as we get started, here's what I need you to do. I need you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. If you're using one of our Bibles today, um, the page numbers are going to be up on the screen to help you find your way a little bit faster. If you don't own a Bible or you don't like the one you do own, please feel free to keep that one as our gift to you today. Uh, and here's what I want to say just as we get started, um, because our culture has given churches and preachers a pretty bad rap, um, and, and I want you, I, I just want to like, let's call the elephant out in the room and move past it today. Um, today is not about giving money to the church, okay? Okay. And if you let your mind go there or get trapped there, then you're going to miss what God wants to speak into your life today. And so don't don't get distracted and don't lose focus um, by starting in the wrong place today. And so um, I I want you to know that that's not the emphasis of what we're talking about today. Um, But hopefully you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 19. And if you went to vacation Bible school as a kid or you went to Sunday school or anything as a child, this story um, is going to be somewhat familiar to you. um, And you may even know the little song that goes along with it. But because I have no singing voice, we're not going to sing it. Maybe, Chad, you can sing that later. Just kidding. All right, so let's look at Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 1. And he this is talking about Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through and there was a man named Zacchaeus. he was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So before we go any farther, um, we need to stop and, and kind of look at the details that we've been given here and and what they tell us about Zacchaeus who's kind of one of the main characters in this story. Um, First of all, it it tells us that um, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which you and I may think of IRS. Um, And while the IRS gets a terribly bad rap in our culture, um, Zacchaeus was nothing like the IRS. Um, While you may not like paying taxes, and while you may feel like the IRS or the government at times Uh, extends its reach into your wallet or your life too far, um, we know that the IRS operates under established rules um, and that there are checks and balances to keep the IRS in check, that they can't just take what they want when they want. Um, This was not true 2,000 years ago under Roman rule. Um, And so not only is Zacchaeus... um, a guy who most people don't want to see but he is a thief here's how this works the Roman government needs a lot of money they have huge armies and they are constantly expanding the Roman Empire and fighting battles and taking over new territories and that costs a lot of money and so for the citizens within the Roman Empire um, the taxes were quite oppressive but the Romans um, had, had a kind of good deal for them going um, that they didn't go around collecting taxes. Um, this helped to avoid people being quite so, not so angry at the Romans and to direct their anger and their frustration elsewhere. And so what the Romans would do is they would go into a territory and they would find local natives, people who already lived in these cities and nations that they conquered, and they would go in and they would hire people who already lived there to become tax collectors and this was their job they were to go and collect taxes for the Roman army and for the Roman government and for whatever salary that these tax collectors wanted they got to choose their own salary and they collected over and above the established taxes so Zacchaeus would roll into your neighborhood and he would just set whatever price he felt that he wanted to set that day and you didn't have a choice. You had to pay him. And knowing that you were giving way more than you actually had to. You were giving way more than taxes from the Roman government actually required. And you were funding Zacchaeus's rich, lavish lifestyle. Tax collectors were very rich men. And they were very hated in society. Um, they were considered traitors. Zacchaeus... Um, before he became a tax collector, he could have been your brother, or your cousin, or your best friend, or a coworker, your next door neighbor, a guy you liked to hang out with. Until he sold himself out, he sold himself out to the Roman government, and now every time you see Zacchaeus coming, you understand what's about to happen. He's about to rob you clean, and mostly to just fund his own lavish lifestyle. Literally, Zacchaeus was basically a part of a Roman mob. That's exactly how it operated. And so it says that he was the chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature, which I find funny that the Bible felt it important to tell us that he's a little guy. Apparently a little guy with a big guy complex because um, he steals a lot of money from other people. Um, So we know Zacchaeus is a tax collector, so he's basically a part of the mob. He's hated in society. He's wealthy. He's a little guy, but he's curious, and he's determined. He's heard stories about this Jesus guy, and he wants to know more. He wants to know what it is. Why is everybody talking about Jesus? Why is there so much hype? Everywhere Jesus went, crowds gathered around to see what he was going to do, to hear what he was going to teach. And now you can see there's a huge crowd around him, so big that Zacchaeus, being a little guy, can't see Or hear Jesus, and so he gets this bright idea that he's going to climb up into a sycamore tree. And so it says this, so in verse 4, So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And then we're going to keep going. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, this is talking about the crowd, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now that word sinner doesn't mean a lot to us either. I mean, we understand that we're all sinners. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short of God's standard. We're all considered sinners. But in this day and age and in this society, to label somebody a sinner, um, was, was like having a scarlet A posted on you. Um, this ostracized you. This meant you were the worst of the worst. And so they're going, what is Jesus doing? That he's going in to hang out with and be the guest of a sinner? One of the worst of the worst? Verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, that's talking about Jesus, that's his favorite term to refer to himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Now this is a pretty short story. And Zacchaeus gets a lot of, you know, publicity. Um, we teach about him in children's um, activities and we've got a little song that kids sing in church about him and if you think about it, he's got a pretty short lifespan in the bible i mean 10 verses but but what's awesome about this story is to see the impact of meeting jesus and what it had on zacchaeus's life now what i want us to really hone in on is verse 8 so see up here hold on if you will go back to the first one um, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, "Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I <clears throat> I restore it fourfold." Now, here's I love the English Standard Version of the Bible. This is the version I preach out of. the The, the Bibles underneath the seat backs or underneath the seats in front of you; those are all ESVs. Love this Bible um, because it's a great word for word translation. Um, and it's written on a really easy uh, reading level, but sometimes it can get a little wordy. Sometimes, um, because this translation tries to stick to the original um, word order as best as it can, sometimes it gets a little choppy. Um, And and here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at this verse in just a little bit of a different way, um, a little bit cleaned up, and I want to highlight a few things. And before we turn to it, um, I, I want you to notice um, there's, there's two things that, that Zacchaeus says he wants to do or that he's going to do. He says, I'm going to, uh, half of my goods I give. And then there at the end of verse 8, he says, I restore. Um, here's, here's one of the problems with, with the way this is worded right here. Um, is we miss a lot of the power, I think, of these two verbs um, the way they're written in the original Greek language that the Bible was, the, the New Testament was written in, um, these are verbs that heighten an immediate and continuous action. Um, and we kind of miss that in this translation. And another cool thing about this um, is this word defrauded. And Zacchaeus says, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, this word right here, I want to give you a couple of the definitions of, of how this word from the Greek can be translated into English. And, and think about the kind of lifestyle Zacchaeus lived and his occupation that we just talked about and how it fits into this. Um, you could also sit, translate, instead of defrauded, you could say extort, blackmail, to shake down, to harass, to squeeze, or to cheat. I mean, all of those words perfectly fit in with the job description of Zacchaeus being a tax collector in this day and age. Um, All of those things kind of bring out exactly how Zacchaeus lived his life. And so um, I've got a cleaned up translation I want us to look at that I think kind of highlights um, really what's... What Zacchaeus is saying, and so here's verse 8 in just a little bit of a different way. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, I am giving half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone of anything, I am repaying it four times as much. And so now we we start to get a little bit of the sense of what Zacchaeus is saying. Um, Zacchaeus meets Jesus. And it changes him immediately. Immediately it changes Zacchaeus' perspective on life. And how he lives his life. And how he sees his role in society now. And how he sees his relationships with other people. And upon meeting Jesus and having him in his home and getting to know Jesus, his response is, I am giving right now. Starting this moment, not in theory, not one day, not eventually, right now. I am giving half of my possessions to the poor. And then he says, and if I have cheated, we could have said blackmailed, or extorted, or harassed, or shaken down. If I have cheated anyone of anything, I am repaying four times as much. I am repaying right now, beginning this moment, not in theory, not eventually, not down the road, not when I get around to it, not when I get time, right now. I'm repaying it right now. Zacchaeus met Jesus and it changed his life. And immediately, Zacchaeus started seeing his life in a new light. Zacchaeus started realizing um, the way that he was called to live in the world, the way that he was supposed to interact with people and treat people, everything from this moment was changing because of his interaction with Christ. He said, Lord, right now, starting this moment, I'm changing the way I live the way I handle myself the way I handle my possessions all of it is changing right now because of me being changed by you because of my interaction with you everything about me is changing now if we're honest which maybe we don't always do in church but let's go ahead and be honest with ourselves for a moment Don't we all want to say something like this? Well, yeah, if I were rich, then I'd be generous too. Yeah, if I had extorted a bunch of wealth from people, then yeah, I could afford to be generous. We drew these things in our hands when we got started this morning. Things that we have in our life that that we have control over that God has given us control over. And we have a choice with what we're going to do with it. If we're going to approach life with open hands, that, that we're going to be generous with what God has given us and what we have control over, or the whether we're going to close them up. Walk around with a closed fist. These are mine. Nobody can take them from me. Nobody has a right to this. Zacchaeus met Jesus and it changed his life. Zacchaeus went from a man being like this he was going to take, 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 steal, cheat, extort, harass, shake down. He was going to keep it and hold on to it. Then he met Jesus. And what happened in his heart was shown by his hand. And we read this story and we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I had so much to hold on to, it would be a little easier to let go of some if I had that much in my hand here's four justifications for why we walk around with the closed fist number one it's not my responsibility yeah if I had stolen from somebody like Zacchaeus okay then I would give back that makes sense but I didn't steal from anybody it's not my responsibility to take care of other people's problems they've got just as much time in a day as I do. It's not my job. I got my own to look out for. Number two, they don't need it or deserve it. I worked hard for what I have. Maybe if they put in a little more hard work they could have that too. They don't, they don't deserve it. Been there before, tried to help people out before. They'll just take advantage of it. They don't need it. I've got more needs than they do. Number three, I don't trust them. I don't know what they're going to do with it. They'll probably take advantage of me. This will probably become a recurring theme. I'll be generous once and then they're going to keep just coming back asking for more. Maybe they're going to take what I give and use it in an inappropriate way, for something they shouldn't be using it for. I may, I may have some of this in my hand, but I don't have enough to just give out to people who are going to waste it. And then number four, I can't afford it. Yeah, if I was rich, I could be really generous. But I'm not, so I can't. Pius lived his whole life like this. So much so that he was willing to push away his family and his friends to become rich. Because being a tax collector, that's what happened. You alienated everyone. His whole life was built on a life like this. Then he met Jesus. Jesus. But it's not just the wealthy, whether it's the wealthy in time, the wealthy in skills and abilities, or the wealthy in money, who have the opportunity to be generous and make an impact. If you've still got your Bibles open, I want you to turn to Second Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, so if you were with us. Last year, um, and earlier this year, we walked through the book of Philippians together. Um, It took us quite some time, but we just went verse by verse and walked through the whole book. And we learned a lot about Paul, who is the author of that book. Um, Paul is also the author of this, and so this is the Apostle Paul, a man who hated Christians, a man who hated them so severely he was willing to arrest them and kill them, until he too met Jesus and everything changed. And now he goes from being a murderer and a persecutor of Christians to a guy who's starting churches as fast as he can. And he's writing a letter to people, Christians, who live in the city of Corinth. And uh, people who live in the, in the city of Corinth are known as Corinthians. And this is his second letter that we have from Paul to the Corinthians. Corinthians. And, and this is what he says, in verse, starting in verse 1 of chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is a region. The primary church in Macedonia, the church in Philippi. And we spent a year looking at the letter that Paul wrote to them called Philippians So you could almost say among the churches of Macedonia, primarily which consists of the one in Philippi. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So, verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The relief of the saints. Here's what the whole context of chapter 8 is about. There is a severe famine in the land. Um, It has primarily hit Jerusalem really, really harsh. And the Christians in Jerusalem at this time are under great suffering. Um, They're under great distress, starving, um, fighting to survive. So as Paul is traveling around and starting new churches, and he goes back and he visits the churches that he had started in the past just to go visit them and see them and encourage them, he's collecting up an offering to take to them, or to take to the Christians in Jerusalem who are suffering so much. And so this is kind of like a relief fund that Paul is raising as he's going around and traveling. And And so here he's talking about begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And so these Christians in Macedonia, primarily in the city of Philippi, the Philippians, We're begging, Paul, please let us be a part of this offering. Please let us be a part of making a difference for those who are hurting and in need. But where did this wealth of generosity come from that it mentions in verse 2? Right there at the end of verse 2. Wealth of generosity. Did it come from prosperity? From great riches and wealth like Zacchaeus? Just before that it says, and their extreme poverty. Did it come from a supporting culture? It says in verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, these Christians in Macedonia were suffering, both in their own Uh, poverty and struggle with famine and also in a severe persecution from the surrounding culture. If you want to read about kind of some of the things they were going through, you can write this down, Acts 17. You can read about some of it in Acts 17. So where did it come from? Where did this wealth of generosity come from? Because it certainly was an encouragement by their culture. And it certainly wasn't out of this wealth of riches that they had like Zacchaeus. Where did this wealth of generosity come from? From their abundance of joy. Do you remember what our theme was as we were walking through the book of Philippians? Finding joy in all things. That was the big message of Paul's letter to those Christians. Finding joy in all things. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I wrote this down because I wanted to, to say it a specific way. What makes people grumble and be stingy is a sense of entitlement. But if we have tasted the measure of our sin and the magnitude of God's grace, we will have abundance of joy in all circumstances. God's grace overflowing in Jesus for sinners like us is the most glorious thing in the universe. This is where our joy is rooted. Our joy is not rooted in circumstances. God has relocated our joy in his grace, not our goods. In his mercy, not our money. In his worth, not our wealth. Their abundance of joy overflowed into a wealth of generosity. And this this abundance of joy came from where? How could we possibly have... Joy in all things, in all circumstances, when, when we're going through a severe test of affliction and, and severe poverty. Go back to the very top here, at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches. Our joy comes from God's grace. Our joy comes comes from God's grace. What is grace? We could define it like this. Grace is God's unmerited or unearned favor. That we weren't good enough to earn it. We weren't smart enough to qualify for it. That we didn't jump through all the right hoops and follow all the rules. That it was unearned unmerited, that God poured his favor out on us. It was true of these churches 2,000 years ago, and it's true for my life and for your life today, that in no way have we deserved God's love and his mercy and his grace and his blessings. And despite us having not earned it, God has given freely to us. God poured out his grace. And these churches, despite their difficult circumstances, had found their joy in God. And it caused an overflow of generosity to happen. And it's because they understood something and something that Paul mentions a few verses later in Second Corinthians chapter 8 and in verse 9 he says this for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by that you by his poverty might become rich. That Jesus Christ on the throne of heaven was as rich as could be yet gave it up for you and I. So that through his poverty, that he gave up what he had a right to, to come to this earth, to take on human form, to die a sinner's death, that through his poverty, you and I might become rich. Not that our bank accounts would overflow, not that we would always have more than we needed, but that you and I would be so rich. Because when your joy flows out of God's grace, you have all that you need. No matter how difficult the affliction around you is, no matter how terrible the culture around you is to you, and no matter how great your poverty might be, if your joy is rooted in God's grace, you have all that you need it is through Jesus's poverty what he gave up to serve us that you and I might become rich that we might experience and taste God's grace so that our joy can overflow into generosity and what do we learn about About the character of our God. We serve a generous, generous God. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave we serve a god who had no requirement to be generous to us the bible says that all of us are sinners and have fallen short of god's great of god's standard Sta- fallen short of of his glory and that the penalty for sin that penalty for falling short is death you and i deserve punishment For failing to honor God as God. Yet out of his generosity. He gave to us. His grace was unearned. Unmerited favor. That he gave freely. That Jesus chose. To become poor. For your sake and for my sake. So that we might become rich. We serve. A generous, generous God. And when you understand that, like these early Christians who were suffering themselves, when you understand how generous our God is, the natural overflow is to be generous. That's what we see in Zacchaeus. A stingy thief Who met Jesus, and as his heart was opened up, it outflowed into his hands. Because when you understand how sinful you and I are, yet God still gave to us. When you're blown away by the generosity of our God, it overflows into our own hearts and through our hearts into our lives, and we become generous people. God has great things in store for you and I. In this series, in these five weeks, we're setting building blocks for our future, a foundation for us to build our lives on and move forward so that we can experience all that God has for you and I. But without generosity, we'll miss it. We started today with with writing these three symbols on our hand time, talent, and treasures. Now, we all have different amounts of them. but God in his sovereignty has given us control over most of them in our lives. You control how you spend your time and invest it. You control how you utilize the gifts and the talents God's given you. And you control your money. You control how much comes in and how much goes out and where it goes out to. are going to be people that represent our God well. We have to be people with open hands. Generous people. Not because we're trying to follow some kind of religious rule. Not because we're trying to get God off our back. Not because if we give some of ours then God's required to give more of it back to us. We we give because we have been given so much. In God's grace, you and I are the richest people in the history of the world. And that has nothing to do with our bank accounts. Because of God's grace, we have all that we need. Because of God's grace, our eternal future is secured. Because of God's grace... We can have life and have it to the fullest. And so we're going to live with open hands. We have to be generous people if we want to experience all that God has for you and I. So how are we going to be generous? What are we going to do? We have to look around us and find opportunities to bless others, to utilize what God has given us to produce life, to produce life in other people, to produce life in other circumstances, to bring life and to bring light where there's darkness. Look at your hands for a moment. How are you going to live your life? Are you going to live it with a closed fist? What does that say about you and the God you serve? Are you going to live it with open hands? Generous because we serve a God who is so generous. Giving all that we can because we've been given more than we'll ever deserve. How are you going to live your life? Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Just to look in your word. To be reminded of the lives that you have changed and transformed. But also to be reminded of how you are changing. transforming our lives God would you help us as individuals and as a church to live lives that represent who you are that our character would represent your character that our actions would represent your actions that we would bring you great honor and glory with our lives I want you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment. There's nothing you and I can do to earn God's love or his grace or his mercy or his forgiveness. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't follow all these religious rules. You cannot earn his love. He has given it freely to you. The Bible says that for those who believe in Christ, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. The message today is is not about how to live your life so that God will love you. The message today is about how we should live our lives because God has loved us. Have you experienced God's love this morning? Jesus has given all for you. And our response to him should be that we give him all of our lives. If you haven't before, today will you trust in Christ to be your Savior? To forgive you? To change you? To come into your life and to make you whole and to make you new? you accept his generosity this morning? Lord, thank you for moving. Thank you for speaking. Challenge us, change us, move in us to be a people that truly represent you. And if there's anyone here this morning who has never given you their life, who has never trusted you fully and completely, and today feels you calling them near, would you give them the courage to trust in you, to cry out to you, to give you their all? Thank you for being so generous to us, though we deserve none of it. We are so humbled Lord, would you take that humility and turn it into passion, a passion to be generous to others, to extend love and grace and mercy to others because we understand what it's like. Thank you, Jesus. Continue to move and to speak this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.